I had to realize, like, I woke up in the arms of a, of a dead man. Tonight on the 85 Grave Show, we explore the life and death of legendary Germs frontman Darby Crash on the 40th anniversary of his untimely passing. First, a brief narration of Darby's upbringing, aspirations, and tragically short life. Next, we explore the career and legacy of Darby's infamous 77 punk band The Germs. Then, an in-studio discussion on Darby, The Germs, and the Southern California punk scene. Finally, We travel to Hollywood, California to visit Darby's gravesite, local germs haunts, and the room in which Darby spent the final moments of his life. Darby Crash, also briefly known as Bobby Penn, was born Jan Paul Beam on September 26, 1958. Darby was raised in Southern California and experienced a tumultuous and troubled childhood. Growing up without his biological father, Darby was raised to believe that Harold Beam was his father. Harold ultimately left the family when Darby was still a child and it wasn't until a decade later that Darby was informed that his biological father was actually a Swedish sailor who passed away before Darby even knew he existed. In 1964, at the age of 11, Darby lost his oldest half-brother, Bobby Lucas, to a heroin overdose. Legend has it that Lucas was murdered by his own drug dealer, who intentionally supplied him with an uncut, lethal dose of the drug. Lucas was 27 years old when he died. That same year, Darby's mother married Darby's third stepfather, Bob Baker, who ultimately passed away from a heart attack when Darby was 18. In Germ's drummer Don Bull's book, Lexicon Devil, Darby's mother was described as having a mental disorder, which contributed towards often verbally abusive behavior towards Darby. Darby attended University High School, where he was enrolled in the Alternative Innovative Program School, along with classmate Pat Smear. After two years, the two were eventually kicked out of school for influencing other students to use LSD. Darby claimed to have no recollection of the two-year span due to residual effects of LSD. After a brief stint at Santa Monica College, where he studied ballet and other forms of dance, Darby decided to form a punk rock band with his school buddy, Pat Smear. They initially juggled the names of Sophistafuck and Revlon Spam Queens. Ultimately, due to the extra costs of getting a long name printed on t-shirts, the name Germs was adopted and history was born. The band's first serious attempt at a legitimate lineup led them to post the following ad. Wanted two untalented girls who don't know how to play their instruments to form a band. Responding to the ad in April 1976 were bassist Lorna Doom and drummer Belinda Carlisle of future Go-Go's fame. Carlisle was not in the band long enough to perform their first gig due to a bout with mononucleosis. The Germs performed in front of an audience for the first time at the Orpheum Theater in Los Angeles as a dare. The band had no songs arranged and relied on stage antics to get through the gig. Darby wrapped himself in red licorice and stuck the microphone in a jar of peanut butter. As guitarist Pat Smear recalls, we made noise for five minutes until they threw us off. The Germs would spend the next couple of years gigging and building the reputation of an unpredictable band capable of all forms of destruction, including self-destruction. Darby was often injured during shows, either from drunken falls, self-inflicted cuts, and violent scuffles with audience members and or bouncers. During this time, the band managed to record and release two singles and an album-length demo. After being banned from nearly every club in Los Angeles, Darby decided it was time for the band to put forth a serious album. In 1979, the Germs released what would be their only full-length album, G.I. The album was a clear step up for the band, both musicianship-wise and status-wise. Produced by Joan Jett and released on Slash Records, G.I. would very quickly sell over 10,000 copies, an almost unheard of number for a band with such supposedly limited musicianship and with almost no venues to perform in in order to promote the album. The album is considered by many to be the first ever West Coast hardcore album. 
In early 1980, the Germs participated in the punk rock documentary Decline of the Western Civilization, alongside peers and punk legends Black Flag, Fear, and Circle Jerks. Due to the Germs being banned from all the local venues, the production crew were forced to rent a soundstage as a mock venue for the performance. The film would ultimately launch the Germs into permanent, legendary status, cementing Darby's legacy due to his stage antics. Darby was also filmed in a friend's house cooking breakfast and talking about the band and why he does the things he does in his performances. Although the scene was alleged to be set up in order to make it appear as if Darby lived with a female, Darby's authenticity, vulnerability, and honesty are a definite highlight of the film. According to legend, Darby was in fact bisexual and lived with a male partner, but feared the scrutiny of being a gay man in the 70s, particularly in the punk scene. The Germs performed a show in April of 1980, soon after which Darby decided to disband the group. He traveled to England for a short time and indulged heavily in the British punk scene. When he returned in July of 1980, he formed the Darby Crash Band, once again recruiting Pat Smear. Darby considered this to be a more professional group that would avoid the wild antics of the Germs and obtain better bookings and be taken more seriously. Oddly, it was Darby himself that was the cause of the shenanigans at all the Germ shows, so the formation of a new group for this purpose seemed quite ill-conceived. The Darby Crash Band performed gigs at the Starwood, but did not get the type of reception Darby had hoped for. According to Pat Smear, the Darby Crash Band was just like the Germs, but with worse players. After a few gigs, the group disbanded. Not long after, Darby introduced the idea of a Germs reunion show with bassist Lorna Doom and drummer Don Bowles. Darby disclosed to Smear that his real purpose for the reunion show was to earn money to buy enough heroin to commit suicide. Darby had talked many times previously about committing suicide as part of his five-year plan for the Germs as well as his own legacy. Because Smear had heard this kind of talk from Darby over the course of their partnership, he did not take the comment seriously. The show took place on December 3, 1980 to an oversold Starwood crowd. The successful return would be Darby's final performance and he made sure to let the crowd know with comments from the stage such as, we did this show so you knew people could see what it was like when we were around. You won't see it again. Four nights later, on December 7, 1980, Darby and his friend Casey Cola entered into what has been described as a suicide pact. Darby took $300 from his reunion performance and purchased enough heroin to do the job. They went to Cola's parents' home, which was walking distance from the Starwood, and retreated to a small, detached room in the backyard next to the garage. Darby wrote a suicide note and injected Casey first. He then injected himself with a fatal dose and laid next to Casey, placing his arms around her, permanently securing his place in rock and roll history at the age of 22. Casey ultimately survived the attempt and awoke in Darby's lifeless arms. We talked about suicide before, um, and we talked about committing suicide together before, but not in a serious way. But a lot of stuff you say isn't exactly always in like a heavy, serious, you know, in bed kind of conversation. Some of it's just a conversation. And we just, we both just looked at each other and the night was just like so, it was just such a bad night. And we just, and once we left, we said, we told people we're going, we're going to go kill ourselves, you know. That's it. We said it like nobody believed us, you know, but once that had been done, we were just like, you know, going and and we got started and we were doing it. And people really have doubts about the fact of whether, you know, we really thought we were going to die. People will swear to me that Darby doesn't think he was going to die. And I know for a fact that he wanted to die. You know, he wrote. He wrote a suicide note thinking he was going to die. He knew how much drugs he was doing, and he did think he was going to die. And he did also think that I was dying. I had to realize, like, I woke up in the arms of a, of a dead man. A lot of people, like, have this thing about how he laid himself out like a cross, which he didn't. His arms were around me, you know, and it's like, it's a very frightening feeling. 
if that's the way you wake up, then that's the one person who's like, you know, loves you. You know, it's like very, it was very, very hard for me. And um, that's, I'm still getting over it. The hardest thing is not having the support of your friends, I guess. Darby's plan of rock and roll immortality was largely thwarted by the murder of Beatles legend John Lennon, which occurred the next day on December 8, 1980, right around the time that news of Darby's suicide began to reach the Associated Press. The John Lennon murder became instant world news and greatly overshadowed news of Darby's death. Drummer Don Bowles would move on to perform in the 85 Grave namesake band 45 Grave, among other various acts. Pat Smear would spend the final year of the band Nirvana's career serving as second guitarist. After the suicide of Nirvana frontman Kurt Cobain, Smear would join Nirvana drummer Dave Grohl in Grohl's band Foo Fighters, one of the most successful mainstream bands of the new millennium. In 2006, Smear, Bowles, and Doom reformed the Germs with frontman and Darby Crash lookalike Shane West. The band performed on Van's Warp Tour as well as various club appearances. West would also portray Darby in a movie about the germs released in the mid-2000s. In January 2019, bassist Lorna Doom succumbed to breast cancer at age 61. In the 40 years since Darby's death, Darby has been far from forgotten. The GI album has become a collector's item and costs upwards of $400 to purchase in present day. Germ's merchandise still sells well, and Darby receives visits and gifts at his gravesite regularly. Movies and shows about Darby still appear on YouTube as well as the silver screen. Despite the setback to Darby's five-year plan in the form of the John Lennon murder, Darby's legend has indeed been solidified. We're back. Welcome to the 85 Grave Show, everyone. We made it back. Welcome. Kind of, kind of close to when we said we would. We said we would be ramping things up. We're back a little sooner. <laughs> we got to stop telling people what's going on. Well, I mean it when I say it. It just doesn't always yeah. work out that way. I mean so. it at the time. Yeah. It's okay. So this is our first 77 Punk episode. Yep. So people have seen it on the banner and they didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. And um, I've had to explain it to a, a couple of people. But what 77 Punk is, it's just a genre. It's um, some of the bands that came out either, you know, doesn't necessarily mean they came out in 77, mm-hmm. but they were big in 77. And there was a specific, a specific sound mm-hmm. to those 77 Punk bands, like The Fear, Black Flag, right? you know. Um, and it was just like, that was like the biggest year. For, for that yeah. style. For, for that 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 punk sound, you know. I don't know Hell if it, yeah. I don't know if that comes from Britain or if it came from like California. Oh. But that's what 77 punk is and this is a you know, a big this is a big episode as far as 77 punk the germs were a huge Darby 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 and the, and the germs were a huge part of 77 punk. And they actually they started in 76, but right. They started they got their wheels spinning in 77. <clears throat> got their wheels spinning. Yeah. So speaking of that, like, so this is another thing I've had to kind of discuss, you know, so, you know, I've played in, you know, I played in a New York hardcore band Mm -hmm. and a lot of people talk about, you know, New York is is famous for hardcore. The East Coast is famous for the hardcore music, you know, Agnostic Front, you you know, you know, all the bands. Right. Um, Love them. So and, and it's like. People always and people have wondered like, well, where was California with the hardcore music? Well, it was. This is how it went in California. The punk bands in our in our state mm-hmm. in our and on the West Coast that was the same thing as what hardcore bands were out east. We just called that's them punk trippy. bands. Yeah. yeah, that's trippy. So if you were into a punk band on the West Coast, then that was essentially a hardcore band and the germs are considered the first hardcore punk band i don't know if it's wow. out of california or maybe ever wow but, you know for them to call the germs a hardcore punk band that's really meaning they were a hardcore band right you know okay so kind of yeah. one in the same just different coasts pretty much yeah pretty much wow of course there's a lot about new york hardcore 
that I was never a part of until later. Right, so right. I can't speak on the, you know, on the on the roots of it, but I can speak on the roots of California. Yeah, for sure. And this yeah. is what it was, you know, the metal bands and the punk bands would play together and it was kind of like a lot of the punk bands had a lot of metal in them, you know, and yeah. vice versa, and vice versa. So my first band, Revenge, that was mm-hmm. from a Black Flag song. That's where the name came from. Aww. You know, but it was but it was like a metal band. Right. You know, what would be what would be called metal, even though we played kind of a, you know, the, the fast beats, tap, 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 you know, we had uh. a lot of that that wasn't really metal. It was more, you know, punk derivative. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that's something I've kind of wanted to discuss. I knew I would want to talk about that the first time we did a 77 punk. <laughs> right. So, yeah. You had to. You had to. Yeah. So. That's pretty cool. Well. So you saw, I, I, uh, you saw the decline of the Western civilization. That's obviously the what, great documentary. It's a great documentary, <clears throat> and that is where the germs became famous, in my mind. Right, know? right. Because I obviously I wasn't, you know, I wasn't even around when they were doing their thing. I was a, a real little kid. Yeah. You know, I wasn't even born yet. Yeah, that's true. So. Although I'm an old hoe now, but <laughs> I, I definitely wasn't born yet. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Darby died, you know, when in in early or in at the end of 1980. So, um, but you saw it. You saw the you saw the documentary. I saw that. Yeah. The first time I saw it, I would say was probably around 87, 86. Oh wow! When I was, for me it was way more recent. Yeah. 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 I mean, I was a teenager, or oh, wow. it was barely. Yeah, I was very, very, very young. Yeah. You know? And I wasn't even playing yet i didn't really i didn't have a drum set i wanted to be a drummer but i didn't have a drum set yet oh so that's okay everybody has to at some point nobody's born with a drum set <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah that was a good doc like it was like reality it was yeah. like before reality shows it was just cool i think my favorite thing about it is the is the scenes in the house where he's cooking and stuff yeah because he's not fronting he's not putting up some kind of facade like oh i'm mm-hmm. this crazy punk rock guy He's just being honest and he's just talking and it's just yeah. like, you know, they ask him like, why don't, why don't you sing in the mic? And he's like, I just don't think about it. You know? <laughs> it was real. He yeah. was real. He was very real, you know, and that's probably yeah. why people loved him and, and, and were drawn to him because even though his stage show was crazy, mm-hmm. you know, it's real because he doesn't have some, you know, other he, life or yeah, something. He doesn't play some role yeah. and try to live it 24 seven. A lot of, a lot of people do that. A lot of, oh yeah. You know, and they, yeah, people front, they try to be in character and he was in character. He just was a, a it real was dude. his own character. Yeah. So, and then obviously, um, you know, the part about him being bisexual, which is, you know, and especially back in those days, yeah. that's the same thing as just being what, it's just being gay. That's just being gay. So, and they they did that scene where he's in the house cooking with that with that girl. That girl was just a friend of his. Yeah. And um, I thought it was a girlfriend at first. No. I wasn't sure. And, yeah. that, and that's kind of the, that's that's what they were trying to go for yeah like trying to insinuate yeah cooking breakfast together exactly they slept together whatever last the night before yeah exactly and and the reason for that was because he actually lived with a a guy Mm. you know that was his partner or whatever and the 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 punk scene Mm -hmm. was like you know i guess what today what would be called homophobic but um and that's really true and i can i can attest to that you know personally like from eyewitness because when i got old enough to actually be in bands. I was like 16 or so. Yeah. And um, we used to play, and this is in, in Bakersfield. This is not in LA. We did go play in, in LA also, but we had to, you know, it was like 70 miles to get there. Right. And we were kids, so it was hard to pu- pull that off, you know? Yeah. But um, we used to play this club in Bakersfield. It was called Bam Bams. And <laughs> it, was a, it was a gay bar. Right. You know? so, Doesn't sound like it. What's- yeah, right. There was and there was two. They were right, right down the street from each other. There was the uh, the Bam Bams one, which mm-hmm. is I'm pretty sure where the the men mostly went. And then there was another one down the street called the Trade Winds, I believe, and that's where the the females went. Yeah, the, the lesbians or whatever you want to call them. And um, people would go around and they used they used to call it fag bashing, which Aww. yeah, that's you know that's what they called it back then. And um, you know they would people would like stalk the the clubs and wait for them to close and they'd come out and people would attack them or throw shit at them you know so lame 
it's just that's the way it was back then yeah i think and it's still like that probably no, a little bit no no now <laughs> now it's totally 180 you know Maybe. now if you're not gay you know you're kind of a loser or something you know? <laughs> oh no a lot of you i know sorry right? we're not gay yeah a lot of people you know are say they're gay and, and and pretend to be gay just because it's kind of cool now which that's fine that's great but back then for you know for darby he didn't want that that stigma he didn't want that part of his life exposed hmm. so they they staged that part but his actions in there were very real it looked to me i mean i yeah. didn't know the guy obviously so but that's kind of you know when I first found that out, which wasn't that long ago, yeah, I didn't know this back in the '90s or '80s when I saw it, right? But um, I just felt sorry for him because I know what things were like back then for people, you know. And I what really would have do. happened to him if yeah. he would have came out or something? Well, I don't think nothing would have happened to him because he was, you know, he was crazy enough. But I can understand why he was trying to avoid, yeah, being cast in that light. Well, you know? do we know the guy that he lived with? This supposed guy. Um, I mean, yeah. Has, has he ever done interviews or anything? Oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know. We know who it is, though. Well, I mean, we've read. I've read about. Oh, him. okay. I know. I read the name. I didn't think it was matter to include it. You yeah. Know? So we were going to try to keep this kind of, you know, quick. But there's a lot to talk about with that. And mm. like for example, that that venue I'm talking about that's called Bambams. Um, you know, it wasn't just a, a gay bar all the time. It was it was during the week and on the weekends they would let metal and punk bands play there oh yeah yeah yeah. and um even later even right before i went away to the military i was in a band called hosbruten which was a just mm-hmm. a straight punk band and we would we would play there i played there in two or three or four different bands at this place <laughs> and a lot of times the people the regular customers who went there they didn't re- they didn't know that saturday night is when they let all the all the knuckleheads take oh. over and play the shows and they would show up and you know just it's their club it's their venue and they'd show up and there'd be all these people there it wasn't bad for them i don't not that i re- really remember yeah you know nobody picked on them yeah. i heard you know people make little comments and shit you know mm-hmm. so it just was a different time yeah you know? so it made me feel bad for him knowing that he couldn't be who he really was you yeah know? yeah and had to, and felt the need to hide that for the sake of his career or whatever yeah you know so I don't that's know. sad that is sad but we we did used to go down to um uh there's a club in Reseda. it used to be there it's called the country club yeah and i went down there and played there with the band revenge mm. and um it was pretty wild man it was we always would play with punk bands like um a band called das clown <laughs> um they were cool i'll show you some videos if i can find them if there is any yeah okay um the mentors you know i like them they're they're ridiculous you know yeah so yeah they're funny and that was back when uh it was el duce the real you know like the yeah. the real like the original mentors and stuff before mark before yeah my friend mark uh you know was probably honestly better a better front man than <laughs> he was even el, i mean not to diss el duce at all right. but mark's obviously a better drummer and he and he's just the type of dude he lives that life he's been a punk rocker since i've known him right right you know yeah i mean he's you know we're talking 30 something years right you know and he's he lives it he still does he's still the same dude yeah you know and um for he's him dope. to have a real punk rocker in there like that it did a lot for that band you know they were cool with him he, they remember they would come to vegas and we'd go watch them and stuff yeah. it was really cool it was fun so but yeah um it was just different times and you know we would go down there and play at that yeah. club and there was another club down there called the anti-club and we were more we especially looked metal because i was at this point way into suicidal tendencies you know so i had the long hair mm-hmm. but we would wear the bandanas and the and the pendletons and shit you know so we looked we looked like california punks obviously not punk rockers like you know you've seen the pictures when i was yeah kid, for you know? sure so maybe we'll put some up yeah, on this yeah, video. I should, huh? <laughs> well, we would go and play down there at the at this anti club and I was at that point I think sixteen, maybe seventeen. I can't remember. Um but that was some wild shit because we looked like metalheads. Yeah. But we played the faster stuff and uh-huh. but we could also play with some of the the like the speed metal bands like Nuclear Assault and I can't remember who else, Overkill. Huh. you know so it was it was a trippy time la was a different 
I don't, well, I don't know what it's like now. I don't go there unless I have to. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm definitely not part of the local club scene down there any time in the last decade or anything, except when I, I have knows. to go play there, and that's in and out, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, but the punk scene was, uh, it was, that that was my little taste of, of the punk scene, you know, the L.A. punk scene. The Bakersfield mm-hmm. punk scene, I knew a little bit more about, but I really wasn't, you know, I just, uh, I was really antisocial, so. Right. Which was kind of what that scene was all about, you yeah, know? Yeah, you fit right in. <laughs> I fit right out. <laughs> so, but. um, That's dope. Yeah, I was really hoping we could find Casey Cola for this interview. Oh, Or for this yeah. show to try to interview her, but I couldn't find her. No, and, I mean, and, we, we tried. We tried All kinds of things. Yeah. For all I know, she lives She's, right there still, probably in that same house, you know? Who yeah. knows? She could be a nun in a convent. We don't know what's going yeah, on with her. She could be anywhere. We tried, but if any, yeah, if anyone has found her or knows her, or if, let or us if know. you're listening, if you are Casey Cola and you... Yes. We get that a lot lately. We get people who see our show and then they knew Bon Scott or they knew... Yeah, they have their Razzle own stories. and Vince New yeah. or, you know, and they, and they contact me and yep. there's going to be some updated shows because of that and... Uh, we will do an update on Darby Crash in two seconds if I yes. get some info. Come on, you know? people. I just want Casey Cole. Anybody else, it's what it is. Yeah. You know? That's um, like the coolest name. That I is think. a cool name. That is cool. I mean, Although, I know obviously that's not her real name. I'm just saying. Yeah, like, her last name was Hopkins. <laughs> but, um, you know, all the punk rockers had like the coolest names. I know. And, I love that. Lorna um, Doom. Like that would probably, or Doom. Lorna Doom. Yeah. yeah. I was I thinking of was, the cookie. <laughs> I, that's what I was calling it. When I wrote all the notes for the show, I put yeah. Dune. Because it's a famous cookie. Yeah, well, I thought... Shortbread I, cookie. I thought that's why she called herself Lorna Doom, named right. her after the cookie, but, you know, what the hell do I know? <laughs> Lorna Doom is way cooler. Yeah. So I should show... So. Um, I should put a <clears throat> a uh, visual. So when we were looking at the house and trying to figure out exactly where he passed away in that house, yeah, there was a couple of things that... There, I had a couple of theories about how it was. First thing was those houses are, like, connected. Mm-hmm. Like the neighbors' houses, they look like they're connected to each other. So the one, the specific address where, where it happened, where he passed away, there's like a, a walkway going up to the, um, to the house, mm-hmm. and it looks like part of the living room or this walkway, and it was supposedly in a converted garage. So my first theory was like, okay, that used to be the garage, and they turned it into the living room, and that's why they're using a walkway to park there. I don't know why I was mm-hmm. thinking that, but that was yeah. my first thought. Then, yeah. then we got on Google Earth, and we found the garage in the back, mm-hmm. and was like, okay, I'm, it must have been in the back, you know. So I was thinking, okay, I'll fly the drone out there, and you know, in LA, you know how much trouble I have out there with doing that kind of shit, you know. Yeah. I always got the cops coming to me, you know. Yeah. So I got to be on point with that. LA's okay. tough. Yeah, they, you know, the, those, these are even the shittiest houses out there are fucking two million dollar houses. Yeah. People got money there, and they don't like people fucking around. People like me, especially, you know. <laughs> so um we we looked there and we saw that there was the garage there and we didn't see no other buildings back there because uh you know that tree there was yep. a tree covering the other so anyway luckily i was standing in front of the house filming it and the fucking guy that lives there pulls up <laughs> that's so dope and i was just like you know what i'm gonna fucking talk to the dude I, I was you know normally i wouldn't do that in la because the people will just fucking call the cops you know yeah. and then and then i lose half my fucking day dealing with the cops yeah, yeah. You know, ain't nobody got time for that. No, and then they pull up my California shit, and then I, I I'm stuck for a while with that. You yeah, know? no, no, thank so, you. So uh, I talked to him. Dude was super cool. Yeah, he didn't want to be on camera, obviously, but um, he was super cool, and he told me that for sure that it did happen in the back. So I was like, okay, now I, I have to do the drone now. Yeah. So then I get the drone up there, and fucking all of a sudden I'm looking. You know, obviously I had to go to the street over so that i could behind fly yeah so that yeah i don't want them to see me flying the drone that they're gonna see in their backyard and you know what i mean so i went over i already had it planned out before i went down there i knew yeah. what the house looked like on the front that was directly behind them so i went there parked yeah. there got out you know got it up there and then as soon as i get the drone down there i see this other fucking building right there and it, and that is for sure where it was it's like a little there's the garage and then next to it is a little like a, it's a room the but tree was gone yeah that because now the tree's gone yeah. So I was yeah. like, how the hell did yeah. I miss this? And then when I got back home, I looked at Google Earth again, and the tree was covering that. Oh, my God. So Why luckily, would they shut that tree or chop that tree down, though? Oh, I don't know. 
It was probably anyway, but yeah, that's probably home insurance. You know, yeah. they made us cut ours down. Or the roots or something. Yeah, our our homeowners insurance made me cut that one. Cut the one here. That, that was like a one. big tree. It covered it the whole building, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So, but well, anyway, it was probably and plus there was power lines all over. That was another thing. It was sketchy about flying the drone there because mm-hmm. you can't really. I couldn't visually see what was going on. I'm just looking through the camera of the drone, <laughs> so I could see all these wires. And I'm like, fuck, man. I'm I'm. If I hit one of those wires and my drone goes down, I'm fucked. Yeah. Because you know? now I gotta now I gotta break into their yard. <laughs> You know, right, so, and, right. I, and I would, you know, I would, but yeah, of course, you know, that's a need that's that a, footage. I need it. Well, I need my and drone. You need your too. drone. Yeah. That's a guaranteed fucking ride to fucking county if you get caught breaking into some millionaire's yard, you know? Yeah. So, but anyway, luckily I got it and we got some really good shots yep. of it. Yeah. So that was, that was a trip. <laughs> that was really That is a trip. amazing. So, and then of course the Starwood venue, the venue, the reason that it, we included the Starwood is because it was a really big part of the punk scene. They were the first club to really, um, to really let punk bands play. You know, that's cool. So hold on, make sure this thing's still recording. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I got scared for a second. The, so the Starwood was the first, like I said, the first place to really let punk bands play. Okay. Yeah. And they had, um, they had, um, what was it? The, um, that was the Eddie Nash, the Wonderland stuff. That's right. right? Yeah, that's right. You remember that. I still want to drive by that house. Anyway, that's another episode. <laughs> the, the Wonderland murders? Yeah. Yeah, we'll get yeah, to yeah. that. We'll do that one. Um, yeah, you're right. The Eddie Nash um, from the Motley Crue, from the dirt. The dirt. I mean, not that, you know, also from the dirt. Right, not from the dirt. Yeah, of course. It has nothing to do with the dirt, Obviously. really. But Motley Crue, they did their first shows there. Nikki Six, the bass player, Motley Crue got a job there and um like being a janitor or some shit just so he could get his bands play there. So so the band London in, in the uh, dirt, whenever it shows them Tommy Lee go to see him play and then they get in the they fight. They get on breakfast stage. afterwards. Yeah. And- yeah, or go yeah, go to eat afterwards. That was London and that was the Starwood. And then the the scene where they had that ridiculous like fight. And the guy on you know, Molly Crew. Oh was yeah, yeah, so yeah. So fake. Like that would never happen at any concert. In, that was supposed in the world. to be the Starwood. That was the Starwood because Motley Crue played their first few shows there. Oh, the that's Starwood. so cool. So, so much um, history. Oh, that place has more history than I mean. It's it's insane. Every band played there. Every yeah. big band. I mean, you name a band from that era, and they probably played there. That's you know, dope. Especially, and then they let the punk bands play all X and yeah, Black Flag, Circle Jerk. All those bands got to play there. So I filmed that and it, and it was also really like maybe a 10 minute walk from the house where Darby died. Oh, that's so that's Casey close. Cola lived yeah. right down the street from it, but it was also, it was just a big, big for the punk scene, you know? Yeah. But yeah, you're right. The, um, that was owned by Eddie Nash. So like in Boogie Nights. I love that. The part movie. where they go throwing the firecracker, the kids and the firecrackers. That was very loosely based. But yeah, that was Eddie Nash, and also the guy who, uh, who, who either ordered or was part of the Wonderland murders, mm-hmm. owned the Starwood, and they they said that all his drugs that's where he kept them at at the Starwood. Oh, yeah. So it's a very that's a crazy spot. It is. Yeah, it's a crazy Hell spot. Hell yes. So they uh, they, you know that we could do a show just on the Starwood, but it's tore down yeah. now. You know, it's gone. It's not there. But I at least went to where it was and filmed the, <laughs> the strip mall. I don't know. I wonder why they, they tore it down. I don't know. Who knows? You know. What What is there now? Um, It's just a strip mall. Oh. Yeah, I'll show you the video. Lame. Yeah. It's it's just, I don't know. All right, fuck the Starwood. Right? Yeah, it's gone. <laughs> it's history. So there was a couple other clubs, like the Whiskey, that were important. but um, And then uh, the cl- a, call, a place called Club 88 and yeah. Madame Wong's. These are, these are clubs that, that the... Germs. I didn't want to try to go hit every every fucking venue they played. It right. doesn't really matter. They're all toilet bowls and <laughs> the the Hollywood toilet bowl fucking venues, you know. Oh, Darby. So, yeah. So and then uh He got to play at a lot of cool places. Yeah, he, he got to do some stuff. He had stuff, his five year know? plan and, and he and he worked it and out. He executed it how he, he wanted. And, uh, almost without John Lennon. I know? mean John Lennon had to get well, he got <laughs> shot. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was crazy. And died and kind of just it overshadowed over- it because yeah. it was like basically the same time that Darby's death was reaching the news. You know, there was no Twitter and all that shit. 
So, no social media, nah. yeah, nothing. So by the time the new the AP was getting that information, John Lennon was killed, and that was world fucking news, you know? Yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah. He obviously was way more popular and all yeah. that, but yeah, it's still shitty. Yeah. Both both deaths are shitty, but I initially thought that um that they filmed the decline of the Western civilization there because um I, I don't know why I where thought that at the Starwood at the Starwood, but they didn't. The it was germ- that church, right? Well, all the different bands played in different places. Yeah. But the Germs, that was actually a soundstage. The the, the producers of the film had to rent a soundstage <laughs> because the Germs were banned from every venue. <laughs> you right. know, Which is weird because I feel like they could have shot it at the Starwood because they let them play there, it seemed like, every month, hmm. you know, after that. Maybe so, it just got to be too much and they just didn't want them there. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. But when I saw that, you know, I, I of course I loved the Black Flag. I loved X. I mean, I still yeah. love them. Um, you loved Black Flag before Rollins, though. I I, I, I like the Rollins stuff okay too. You yeah. Know? But um, and then the Fear. Mm-hmm. I love the you know I love the Fear. That's like mm-hmm. one of my favorite bands of all time. Is the yeah. Fear. I love the Fear. So um, but I saw the Germs play and they looked so ridiculous and they just it just looked like they couldn't play at all. <laughs> so I I never like took them serious. I never really tried to find their album or none of that it wasn't until way later like like this year that i started when i knew we were going to have a chance to do the show yeah that i actually listened to their actual record and mm-hmm. it's fucking great man it's really good yeah we've been rocking it like i know i've been for playing a while a lot. well because i have to i had to learn the music to record yeah. it to, to make for the soundtrack of this show so yeah but aside from that i just there's a few songs that i just love them yep. man. they got stuck i love yep. the sounds and um you know you can clearly hear their influences you know you can hear i hear a black flag song in there Mm -hmm. i hear some black flag lyrics in there like gimme gimme you know yes um the runaways yeah that's that one and joan jett was like involved that's right so i was playing it and you you heard it and you were like hey what is that that sounds familiar that was crazy yeah and it was they got a song that sounds like um cherry bomb is it cherry bomb Yeah, Yeah, yeah yeah so we uh, were like, oh, shit. And then we, so then we started looking up thinking, well, okay, which band came first? One of them ripped the other yeah, off. Yeah, who stole from who? Yeah, so we looked it up and then it was like, oh, okay, it was the Runaways were first. Right. You know? And then it was like, wait a minute. But why would they blatantly steal from the Runaways? Like, that's fucked up. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, it's not blatant, but it's, it's pretty it's obvious. It's really close. Yeah, it's really close. But then we remembered that fucking Joan Jett <laughs> produced the record. Yeah. So she was right there with them. She probably... Maybe she, she said, do it this way, you guys. I don't know. Maybe. Or maybe they just didn't realize they were doing it. Yeah. Or, or maybe she had took a part in it. You know, who knows? And, and, That's and was, trippy. And you know, like coerced them into kind of doing something right. like that. I mean, she might have been helping them write. Who knows? I don't, I don't know what her level of, you know, like, involvement yeah, was. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah, so but that's pretty cool. That's crazy. And then obviously I we, love that Joan Jett was involved. Yeah, she's pretty badass. Yeah. And then obviously as we did more uh research we found out that the runaways were big influence of those guys, you know. Yeah. Of the germs. So I mean the runaways were were gangster. They you know? blew up. Yeah, they were gangster. They blew up. They were dope. I remember like being into Lita Ford like in the in the mid eighties, you know. <laughs> Everybody loved them some Lita. <laughs> yeah, she was she was like bad like before that you hadn't really seen a, a girl right. in metal like that. There was a couple, but like she was badass playing guitar. There was always yeah. girl singers and stuff, but to see a girl, a badass guitarist, mm-hmm. you know, like long blonde hair. Yeah, it was like oh my gosh, she was like the ultimate fucking Camaro blonde rock right. rocker chick, you know. And Scout, my girl Scout, um, played Lita in the Runaways. That's right. I forgot about that. You know, when, I was gonna get her signature mm-hmm. playing with Lita, but I chose her in Halloween, oh, Rob right. Zombie's Halloween. We gotta get those posters. Up. So yeah, yeah, yeah. but. But yeah, that's, I don't know. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely interesting. Wow. Yeah, I love so. how everything's all tied together. It is. And, and how, how strange is it that Pat Smear went on to right. join Nirvana? And that's then, insane. And then what happens? You know, like fucking Kurt Cobain kills himself almost the same way. Like, is that dude bad luck or what? But no, uh, yeah, he's not. Yeah. He's just, because Foo Fighters is going strong. Yeah, yeah, and girl's not going nowhere. He's no, he's so a it's like, dude, yeah, you know? it's not Pat Smear's fault, no, not anything. Not. I'm just I, saying. I that. think just that those type of people, you know, obviously Kurt Cobain was obsessed with punk rock, and he, yeah, he was love. He loved the underground punk rock, hardcore shit. So I, I guarantee you that is a hundred percent the reason why he brought Pat Smear into the band, just because he probably 
loved that. We loved you know, him loved, and loved the music. Yeah. And, you know, by all by all accounts that we can see in his interviews and stuff, he seems like a really cool, chill dude. Uh huh. He so, does. You know. He does. Uh, you know. I'm sure Kurt wanted a real punk rocker in his band. You know. Yeah. And he got it. You know. Kurt. Yeah. That's, why is everybody dead? I don't know, man. I don't know. Especially, you know. Damn it. I don't want to talk too much about that because we got a little surprise for people with that stuff. Oh snap! Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't be saying so. nothing yeah don't be saying nothing so well other than that i mean that was pretty much you know i think we already covered a lot we double and triple covered everything <laughs> from the narration and from the and from my you know the, the, the videos, footage yeah, and the, everything the videos i did on on site you know yeah probably getting a couple of things two or three times but it's okay what it is. it's okay it's like a punk rock song same shit same chords <laughs> over and over and over this episode is a punk rock episode so exactly yeah so finally happy to get a you know people have noticed and they've asked like if you look at the collage of our um our like our catalog yeah no our, our uh, background like on youtube and stuff you'll see a couple of punk rockers in yeah. there you see darby crash Mm-hmm. And um, you see Lee Ving. I know I'm not waiting for Lee Ving to pass away. He's never going to die. Lee Ving cannot die. He's invincible. The reason <laughs> Lee Ving is in there is because he's a fucking badass dude. And he's been in some horror films that you will see more of shortly. Uh-oh. You know? Was that a little hint? hint? Maybe. <laughs> so, uh, Who picked up on that? I, I don't know. See if anybody's even listening right? this far into it. Hey, we have a shout out. Oh, yeah. This guy right. might be listening. Yeah, we got a cool... Uh, a cool dude. Uh, a was fan. On, we have a fan. Yeah, on YouTube. Uh, what's his name? Jason. Okay. Jason LaBarbera. He wanted to see how bad we fuck his name. I up. was going to say, I don't want to demolish his name. Yeah, well, I'm going to try. Jason LaBarbera. Did we do that right, Jason? You're the man. Thanks for listening. I know he's, he's going to come into the comments and tell us. I'm Where's sure. he from? He's from Idaho. Utaho. 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 <laughs> Idaho's cool. We got to actually make a trip up there soon anyway. I mean, we know Cassie Joe, mm-hmm. that whole episode. Mm-hmm. You know, the house is up there. Um, but Idaho just seems cool. I'm filming up there. We're filming a movie up there in the spring. Close. Well, yeah. Not, not in not in uh, Pocatello, but right. in, in northern Idaho. Yeah, so maybe we'll go check out some Idahos. Yeah. Get some potatoes. So, all right. Well, thanks for joining us on our first, yeah, but not you. the last punk. Not the last. Punk show. Nope. And uh, enjoy, you guys. Enjoy. Thanks for listening. Peace. Have a good one. Peace. Peace. <laughs>
everybody knows the uh, guitar player Pat Smear. He went on to play with Nirvana, and uh, which is strange if you think about it, because that's two people, two lead singers that he was in bands with that committed suicide. So, what a rough, what a rough time that guy must have with all this stuff. But um, you know, he went on, and then he plays for the Foo Fighters and. Dave Grohl seems like a pretty uh, stable guy. I don't think nothing's going to happen to him, luckily. But, um, yeah, this is him. This is the final resting place. Darby Crash. Shouldn't really touch this kind of shit, but... Had to come back for a second. I didn't catch one thing that was left for him here. Really cool ring somebody left for him. So whoever you are out there, if you see this video, don't worry, your ring's still there. So we got more serious rock and roll history right here. This is the former location of the infamous Starwood venue, which was one of the bigger clubs, one of the first ones to book punk bands. The Germs played here. Um, Motley Crue, this is where Nikki Six worked as a janitor or some shit. And he, uh, because he worked here, he was able to get Motley Crue on some shows or um, like their first couple of shows, I think, were here. You know, the, the building's gone now, and they tore, they tore it down and put the strip mall up. But every band played here, from Van Halen, all the punk bands, X, all of them, um, Devo. I mean, I'll put a list up. But even more than that, this club was owned by Eddie Nash, who was um, the main guy from the, the Wonderland murders. So this is where he kept his drugs. He was a big-time, I guess a big-time drug dealer. In the movie Boogie Nights, that was like loosely based on Eddie Nash. You know, when they go to the guy's house and they try to rob him and the, the kid throwing firecrackers around and stuff. That was based on Eddie Nash, the guy who owned the Starwood, which was here. So I'll make a list of more stuff that was that this that was uh, associated to this venue, this location. But this is rock and roll history right here. So here right behind me is the uh, the house that Darby died in. It's right over here. Pretty much where that car is, it was a um, <clears throat> it was a converted garage where they were him and Casey Cola. That's where they passed away or that's where he passed away. They did the suicide pact. Try not to be too invasive in this neighborhood. These people are kind of weird. But there it is. You gotta be careful messing around in LA, especially in this kind of area, because they'll just call the cops out here in like two seconds, which is not a big problem, but waste a good 30 minutes of your day. I was gonna fly the drone up in the backyard because I think, I thought the garage was, there's a shed in the back, I saw it on Google Earth, but I don't wanna, there's no reason to do that here. There's a guy pulling up here. Maybe I'll press my luck. Maybe he lives there. Hello. Do you live there? You do? Um, do you know what happened there? Um, I'm, I'm going to cry. I'll stay over here. Um, 
40 years ago, um, there was a singer. Singer? Yeah, and he passed away in his house. Yeah. Did you, you ever heard like about suicide or something? Yeah. Yeah, you heard about that? <laughs> okay, yeah, so I don't know, do you ever get How people? Do you know that? I, that I, I do a show on YouTube, so um, I go and I film locations where things happened, you know, so, and I was a fan of that band, it was from a long time ago, from the 80s, well, really from the 70s, and yeah, it was an old punk rock band. And, Why did he commit suicide? Um, I don't know, just depressed, I guess. <laughs> well, I thought it was what it about, the price of the house. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you have, how long, have you lived there for, since, like, a long time? Like, so you were probably the first one that got it afterwards, and they never, they never disclosed that? No? They, I knew somebody died there. Oh, you didn't know that? What it was, was there was a, his name was Darby Crash, and, I'm sorry, I'm filming myself, you don't mind, do you mind if I film you a little bit? Yeah, no, I don't want to be filming. Okay, okay, I just got myself. The, uh, his name was Darby Crash, and him and his girlfriend did a suicide pact and I don't know they overdosed in there they it said there was a converted garage ah so because it wasn't the, the, that's what I also heard that it was the back room not the house oh okay so there's a room in the back yeah okay okay it, and it, was it like a, and that used to be like a garage or something I don't know what it was I, there's a garage there is a garage yeah okay it's like a back room I heard that yeah okay well thanks for I appreciate okay. you talking to me take care Okay, so it is the garage in the back. So that means I'm gonna have to fly the drone up there. So sorry, everyone. Sorry for the real cool guy. Um, obviously, it's kind of strange having people come up, and especially people that look like me, and start asking you questions about your house. But but uh, I gotta do what I gotta do. Here is the back room where Darby spent his last moments of life. December 7, 1980, 40 years ago today. Darby and Casey Cola entered their suicide pact. They went into this little room here. Darby wrote a suicide note. Then he injected Casey Cola and she passed out. Then he gave himself the lethal dose and laid down next to her, put his arms around her, and passed away. <laughs>